Hello, and welcome to the Network Collector Community Roundtable. It's no secret that IT staffing budgets have been shrinking, and for some time we've seen somewhat of an exodus, and I think we're going to have some contention on this point, but there is something going on where engineering talent is not as prevalent in the enterprise. Uh, what we want to explore today is some of the implications of this move and whether or not you can really get away from hiring smart people. Before jumping into today's episode, we wanted to quickly remind you about the Network Collective Community Membership. The Network Collective Community is a place where you can go to grow in both your technical skills and learn how to generally be a better engineer. There are a number of additional excellent benefits that you can discover for yourself if you go to thenetworkcollective.com slash join. Community is incredibly important to growth, and we would love to have you be part of ours. So let's get to the topic at hand. Uh, joining us to explore this concept are three, well, actually three returning guests, uh, Denise Donahue, uh, Pete Welcher, and Aaliyah Atlas. Thanks for joining us today. Um, and to get the conversation rolling, I'm gonna start by taking a position. And that position is this, that regardless of where you are spending your technology budget, it is ultimately going to pay for smart people. What do you think? Okay, I have a reaction that maybe is a little bit too PC, but, um, smart people, everybody is smart in their own way. Everybody has things they are good at and things they are not good at. And so I think, you know, yeah, if we said, regardless of where you're spending your budget, you need people who are skilled at what you need them to be skilled at. You you're need- hiring them. Okay. Okay. Go, any, sorry, any, any other thoughts on the definition? I mean, it's probably pretty good that we define it up front what we're talking about. So maybe smart is not the right word, maybe with the appropriate skills. With the appropriate skills, the right skills. Competent. Maybe. But, I mean, Aliyah was going to say something. Yeah, Aliyah is making faces. Head, so like, she's like. <laughs> so, first of all, the thing about technology is it's changing. And that's part of what's going on in the market, right? There's all of the cloud hybrid, cloud, SD-WAN. I mean, all of these different pieces are coming in and changing the industry. So you need people who, under, who are capable of listening outside of the technology piece to understand what the business actually needs. And figuring out how to then turn that into using the technology and what the technology is. Yes, you need people who have good background and good skills, but you need people who can learn. And that's, we tend to say smart for learn, but that's not all of it. They also need to be able to listen. We all know people who are extremely smart and not so great at listening. And you know, it's, it's a whole package that you're looking for. And it depends on the level as well. I and think it's there's some other skill ahead, sets. Yeah. Um, there are some other skill sets I've seen in the field. Um, one thing I've noticed with one of our consulting customers is that we had a very detail-oriented junior guy there, and he was just absolutely fantastic at network management, getting stuff in there, getting the diagrams updated, tracking cabling, and all that sort of stuff that nobody else wants to do. So wanting and attention to detail is yet another skill set. On the ops front, I've seen, um, I think a lot of people on, in ops, at least the ones that survive, have good stress tolerance and ability to focus on priorities and not sweat the small stuff. That sometimes comes back around and bites them because they can't sweat the small stuff. So they'll prep for a cutover, but eh, updating the documentation, maybe not so much. It varies with people. All right, so I'm going to propose that we use a different word. I don't know the word completely encompasses everything, but I'm going to use the word competent. Is, is that a fair enough word? I mean, as we bring in the idea of has the skills we need them to have, can learn and do the job we need them to do, 
Um, cause I, and this ultimately is not the, the whole definition of the show, but I think it's important that we have this conversation about what, what do we mean by smart people? We're really talking about skilled engineering staff. And so when I say skilled engineering staff, that skill is both in the ability to do soft and hard skills, the right? soft and hard skills, the, the, you know, yes, I know how to program the routing protocol, but then I also know how to learn the new stuff. I mean, it encompasses a lot of things when we talk about competence. So just as a baseline, I, I keep looking at Aliyah because she's like, she's like shaking her head. Competence is the wrong word. <laughs> Competence is great, but we haven't touched on the other piece, which is engaged. Because if you have people come in and they're doing the same thing they've done before, like Pete was saying, where there's a person who's really good at that detailed stuff, um, which some other folks who may be really great on the protocol side may have said, yeah, I did this 10 years ago. Just because they're competent at it doesn't mean that they're going to be engaged and interested, excited in solving the problem. Okay, right? I'll, go, I'll go more generic. Good. We've extracted all meaning from the word. And here we are. Good people. But what if they're very skilled but evil? <laughs> I, want to, I want to challenge the word competent. Um, awesome. We're, we're giving you feedback here. Actually, competent is good, but I'm going to, um, I, I'm concerned more about adequate. Uh, prior employer uh, tried to hire people that were adequate. And the question I always had was, and what happens if you miss? So, so ever since then, I've felt like you want to hire people who are adequate plus a bit or competent plus a bit, just to make sure you're not making an error on the other side. <laughs> but I think, I think we can agree whatever that conglomeration of skills, abilities, or definitions are that there aren't enough of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that, that everywhere I go, whether it's with vendors or with customers, everybody is looking for people. Yep. Everybody is saying oh, yes. there is a shortage in skills and there's a shortage in the number of people they can hire. So there's I mean, a this is a side to that which is uh, the corollary to that is that um, we're seeing uh, consulting customers where they can't afford the salary that they used to pay people. And so, so that's creating a shortage in another form. People uh, leave because they can get a bump up in comp. Uh, and then the employer is like, eh, I have to hire somebody who doesn't have the skills or I have to do without. Um, and sometimes part time is an answer. Or rent, like rent a yep. consultant. Yep. Rent a consultant. Rent, rent, a, rent a consultant. So, Pete, are you for rent? Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> it's curious. So, so, I mean, we're talking about a shortage. I mean, I struggle with this. I mean, so, and so I, I agree, uh, Yvonne, to your point that there's, you know, it seems like, I, I mean, I'm, I work for a reseller. I'm in a lot of different places. And I will tell you that the large majority of my customers do not have the skill on staff that they need to run the technology and that, and that is true of your customers now your customers are what mostly mid-size right uh yeah, yeah mid um some large enterprise but primarily okay. mid to large enterprise space yeah okay so i'll just carry that over and say that's true at the hyperscalers i know of too so well and um, even at large enterprises that have yeah. the budget they, yeah. they they can't find the people i um, mean Aaliyah, are you having are you having problems finding people at where you? Well, <laughs> I'm just well, saying, right? Yeah. I mean, there's always hiring, but this ties back to three pieces. One is 
what are what's the work that people are doing? Is it that the technology isn't scaling enough to downsize the amount of work? This is all of the network automation pieces. Is that changing? Then another part is the are you looking for people who have the exact skill set that you need today, or are you willing to do the generalist and train them? If there's a lot, I mean, one of the things that I certainly learned at my new job is there's a lot of really great people who don't have a background in networking and they can come in and learn, but there's a learning curve, not saying for running your whole network, but one of the pieces is if you're looking for the people who already have 10 or 15 years of experience and the market of people working in the industry wasn't as large 10 or 15 years ago, you're going to have a problem. I think this is an attitude on the part of many network operators that they are whoever, whether, whether they're, you know, transit providers or whoever you, whatever you call a network operator, that they want to hire the person in who's going to hit the ground running and they're not willing to train people up to build more people out because, Hey, after all I might lose them. But yeah, I mean, overall still, my, my only point was, is that it's not just mid and small network customers, it's value-added resellers, it's vendors are having problems finding people, it's hyperscalers, it's transit providers, it's IXPs, everybody is in this position right now. I don't so, know anybody who doesn't have this problem. So why? This is my question, is, is why? And I think this is a big, a big, a harder question to answer than it may seem like on the surface, because here's the thing, I mean, here's a measure, it's not a great measure, but you look at like the CCIE, when you look at the CCIE growth and the numbers that have happened in the past five years, it has grown nearly exponentially, people who are able to pass the CCIE lab. Now, we can talk about the quality of the test and all. That's a whole other show. But there is some base level knowledge of competence for the large majority of the people who pass that test that would make them a decent network operator. And that number has gone up, not down. But we're saying there's a shortage of talent to be hired into companies. Well, I would, of talent is the demand raising faster than the supply. Like what, what do we think it is? Or the well, I would argue about it exponential. I think it's linear or sublinear. Um, actually at one point, a few years back, some people in Cisco were saying we need 50,000 CCIEs a year. Whoa. A year. Yeah. And it's like, uh, good luck. That's like the, as many as there are total. total right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the number, the number just passed 60. I saw my first 60,000 number today. Um, so like it's, you know, and of course starting at 10, 25 and there's also just making me feel old. Yeah, I know Russ. Yeah. Mr. Like two, three, whatever. Oh, Mr. Humble brag. If you haven't watched it, we did a history of the CCIE show recently where I sat and I kept my mouth shut because I was with three people who've had it for like, I don't know, like 4,000 years. Um, (laughs) that's a whole other show. It was a great show by the way, if you haven't watched it. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, we're seeing, uh, so maybe it's not going up exponentially, but it seems to be more rapidly increasing than it did in the past. The number of CCNAs and CCNPs and people who are getting certification and fundamental knowledge in these things is increasing. And I'm just using those as baselines. Obviously they're not the be all and end all. Um, the number of engineers that are out there seems to be increasing, not decreasing. Is it just that the demand is that much higher? Is it that the intelligence is there? Um, I, I use that. <laughs> are they not good? I saw, I, saw a statistic in, I saw a statistic in print that some uh, feds or somebody is estimating that IT in general needs about two, 200,000 new bodies a year, and the supply is about 50,000. And so is that, is that what's driving salaries up? 
I mean, you, we mentioned that earlier that uh, the expectation of someone with experience is that they tend to be a bit too expensive for the enterprise to pay for. Wait, that's two one factor. Going up? The other thing that's going on, well, part, of it, part of it may be comp, is that uh, budgets are fixed or dropping. And so companies are cutting staff count, headcount, which stresses the people that are left further. I just did a study as part of an assessment for uh, somebody, and we were looking to get a read on headcount. And comparing as numbers with other organizations is kind of tough because of What's the technical complexity? What's an advanced skill set? That kind of thing. It's all pretty nebulous. But one of the things we looked at was just what jobs are not, what tasks are not getting done. And it was all the stuff that piles up in the technical, accrued technical debt category. Documentation updates, five years old. Diagrams. Um, They did have a cable management system, so they were at least tracking what was patched to what. But on and on. Well, I came up with about 20 things that weren't getting done. That's interesting. And, and so is this a, is this a value conversation? Like what, what is the value of those people to the business? Is that, is that part of it? But, but I've even seen in organizations know they need people. I, I think Elias said something earlier that that's pretty important. And that is there's a lot of churn in the industry right now. Things are changing. At least it feels like they're changing more rapidly than they have you know, the last five years and the five years before that or the five years before that. And, and so I think there, there is some, some, some talent out there that's maybe stagnated a little bit, which is maybe exacerbating the problem that we've got folks that, you know, I've done this for the last decade and I don't want to do anything different. Um, but I'm sure I've, I've been thinking this the whole time we've talked, there's somebody out there screaming at the podcast right now going, I would love to get a job, but you're talking about how there's a shortage and I can't get a job. And I think there's some truth in that too. Like there are good people out there. We're having a hard time connecting them to work that they can do. Um, I think that's, well, I think that, too. I think that partially goes back to, um, this thing on the part of recruiters that I'm just going to find somebody who knows what I want them to know. There's a checklist. I'm not finding good engineers. I'm finding somebody who knows what I'm looking for. I know somebody who knows Junos CLI. I'm looking for somebody who knows Cisco CLI. I'm not looking for a network engineer and we're not training network engineers in my opinion, a lot of times. Not here on the network collective. That's what we do on the network collective, by the way. We're trying to do it. (laughs) That's what we're trying to do. We're training network engineers. But, you know, we aren't training network engineers. We're training. We're still training. We're moving from the the point where we're training CLI slingers to the point where now we're, 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 we're training Python slingers. And they still don't understand how the network works. Right, yeah. so look at look at that though from a business standpoint. If you had a company and you had some stuff that you needed to get done, so maybe you you were you had this theoretical way of saying that we hire low level people, mid level people, high level people, and we take the low level people and we train them up. You have stuff you have to get done day to day to day in your network, you know, in your company. Um, at some point, it piles up. When do you train the low-level people unless they go out on their own and get trained or they really push and get trained? Regardless of the best intentions, chances are that's not going to happen. So you're going to be stuck with, with layers of people until yeah. you know, one of them goes out on their own, learns stuffing, something, and leaves, and you have to hire another 
Smart, skilled, competent, engaged. Yeah. Thomas the train engine <laughs> um, useful person. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think this is intersecting with with the with um some of the some of the trends in the way that business is looking at technology as well. And so I think some of us may work for organizations that treat it a bit differently, but a lot of the ones that I'm in, that I'm consulting in, uh, like uh, they're being sold this this message that everything is getting simpler. Ah. getting simpler. Yeah, exactly. That's my response as well, Pete, that it's getting simpler. Everything's getting abstracted away. You don't need super brilliant people on staff to run your network anymore. And I I would, I laugh at it, but I mean, like these these are pitches that I'm hearing regularly, like that, like the whole idea is that the, the things are getting simpler. Meanwhile, we're, we are introducing much more tightly coupled, much more integrated systems with many more features than were there 10 years ago and we're, into these and, networks. Right. And, and they're much more fragile and they need much more care and feeding than what we did traditionally because of and, identity policies yeah. that we didn't do before. Yeah. And, and we're throwing stuff on people. top, right? It's marketing people. Yeah, it's just well, throwing stuff on top. Hey, after all, I can put BGP in my data center fabric and who cares if it has... A million lines of code that I'm running in my data center fabric. I'm only using three commands on it. So look how Aaliyah's simple is about to pop. I know. My, my point, though, I, I, let me finish my yeah. point. And then, Aaliyah, okay, you, you okay. can strike it down like you're looking for it. My point is, is that if you are an IT executive, and that's the message that you're hearing, but then you hear, oh, we need to bring people in, we need to train them, and we need to pay them well enough and keep them engaged so they don't leave – like those, those are two completely contradictory messages. Like one message, one message says I can pay the vendor to give me a system that makes it simpler. And that's what I'm paying them for. The other message is we can't keep staff on who can manage the network because of the complexity. And no one seems to be noticing that there's just this big conflict between these two concepts that one of them cannot be true. <laughs> well, if it were simple, they wouldn't need you, Jordan. Why are they bringing you in? I'm sorry. Go, Ilya. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't worry. Just for this, if I had something deeply meaningful to say, I would be jumping in even stronger. Okay. So, don't um, so there's a couple pieces. One is, yeah, there's this downward spiral. You get technical debt. You can't afford to take the time to train. So you have to hire people who are exactly the right thing. And then you never get out of that because you're starving for resources. Yep. Right. Second point is... Um, we talk about the work involved, but there's toil. And then there's the, the intelligent work. I mean, some things you have to do. You have to run the camp. You have to do. But when I talk about toil, it's the day-to-day tasks that could be automated, but aren't. There's the things where if you actually invested cycles, you can get it better and reduce it so that the time that your folks are spending are on the hard pieces. And then the third part is the industry chases after new technology. And it's always going to be better, stronger, faster, easier, but the reality is pulling all of those pieces together into a system with the bugs that they have is not trivial. And so one of the, this is one of those places where less is more. And if you can back Amen. off. Amen. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> Without setting off a debate, I actually claim that a lot of what people spend their time doing is not repeatable and not very automatable aside from deployment. I like I like now, how he says without, without sparking a, off a debate. I'm going to say the most controversial thing possible. <laughs> well, what, what I see is that people spend have to spend a lot of time because they have to test stuff before they deploy it because it ships buggy. So you have to yes. gauge when it's mature. And the same thing, if you deploy one of these be all and end all systems and something craters, 
your network is down. You're running around with your hair on fire. Yeah. Yep. And that's the fragility that I mentioned. When you talk about tight coupling, that's it. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the more integrated things become, the more catastrophic the failure when it does happen. That's just, a, that's yes. just like a, a, a natural law of engineering, right? And so one of the items on my checklist as far as smarts, getting back to the original topic, Awesome. It took a struggle. Wow. But uh, <laughs> what I wonder about with some of the canned offerings is small, medium, and even some large businesses are going to bet their business on these products. Does the vendor have adequately skilled people to fix your network when it breaks? Because the enterprise may not have those skills in-house. Right. So go back to the premise. What we're doing is we're actually not not hiring smart people. We are hiring smart people. We're just hiring the smart people by proxy, by buying hardware and software from a vendor. And we're hoping that by sharing those smart people among all the customers that vendor has, that they're going to be cheaper. But But they're (laughs) they're saying, trust me. And how do you know those people are good enough and in quantity enough? And in quantity enough. Not to mention... Uh, we, we, you know, there's people who will argue that every network is unique. There's people who will argue that every network is the same. I think it falls somewhere in the middle. There is institutional knowledge that your vendor will never have. Like they'll just never have. And yeah. so even if they come in, I mean, think about the last, you know, support case you ran with a vendor support team. How long did you spend getting them up to speed on the things you're doing with the technology that they built? Like, I shouldn't have to hold your hand. Like, come in, take a look at what's going on and tell me what's wrong. It's all your stuff. But it never works that way because you have to understand how things are actually put together and pieced together because there's 800 different ways to do it. There's institutional knowledge. And also there are every vendor has complex enough hardware and software that even when I was sitting on TAC in Cisco many, many years ago, a long time ago, Jordan. um, I didn't say a lot thinking it, you sure you yeah. remember those it days was, it still even back then it could take you hours to figure out why someone configured something that way it's just there's just so much right and this and this is not a fault of the vendor so i mean when we're saying this we're not poking the vendor for not being good at their job the problem is there's so many options yeah why did they build so many options because we asked them to yeah <laughs> like that's the reason that's why they nerd knob yeah and oh, that's this. it it's This gets back to the complexity. You get complexity of options. It becomes harder to troubleshoot. You get complexity of the software and of the features. But the other pieces is because when you're doing, I mean, yes, you've got, um, you know, the SEs and such from vendors coming in and who are used to troubleshooting and looking at people's networks, but they have to sit with the network to really get it and understand. And it's, it's abstraction blocks, right? When you're at a vendor, you're thinking about the router and the networking protocols as one layer of abstraction. When you're at an operator, you're thinking about it in terms of the network and how do you get your resiliency and all of those types of pieces. It's building a different layer of system. And whenever you talk to a vendor, you're pulling them up to that layer. Yep. Absolutely true. And this, and this is where to, to get back into, you know, some of the, some of the planned outline that we have, which by the way, has just been shot from the, from the moment we started, <laughs> but it's been a great conversation. Is this, is this middle layer? And I think this, uh, uh, you know, was kind of alluded to by, by Denise in, in renting the idea of, of, of the reseller who sits in the middle. There's a channel today that exists for most major vendors where, you know, it's not the vendor who has these very broad responsibilities and they think about the, indiv- or the individual pieces of the system and how those things work 
you know, in a silo. Then you have the, the operator, the actual end user who understands the full system, having someone in the middle whose scope isn't quite as large as the vendors who can come in and get to know your network and then assist you. I mean, there's a bias, just a, a clear declared bias on this panel. Three of us, I think, work for in this in this type of role so just just you know full disclosure there but i mean like there's there's value in it yes pete raises his hand i'm there too denise is there as well um so there's there's some value in that piece as well but then the enterprises or our corporate world is still paying for that right like whether they're paying for it to be on staff or they're renting it out occasionally right it's a value decision about when they need it the closer it is to your business the more immediate that response is going to be so we talk about the vendor the more precise the more precise exactly Exactly. So you talk about the vendor, they're very far away from your business. And they think about the system, like, like Elias said, as like a, a single level of abstraction. You have the operator who understands all of the complexities of the interaction points because they built it. A reseller kind of sits in the middle. It's like half as good. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. I, I want to throw out something out there that I've noticed because um, there's another layer of complexity to all this. And that's at least in publicly traded companies and highly regulated industries, there's a regulatory component. And what I've seen in the last five years, especially among healthcare is where I'm used to seeing it is layers of process and procedure to meet regulatory requirements that add complexity to the entire system. And and I think, Maybe not the design of the network, but how you implement the network and when you can update the network and how you can make changes to the network and who can touch what when. And, you know, audit's going to come in here and look. And if somebody put a VLAN on a switch port without documentation up for it a week ahead of time, they're going to get in trouble. Those kinds of things. The entire financial industry, right? Right. You need to be delivering your stock quotes at exactly the same time. And so there's a huge focus on get the multicast, get it done. The, a whole debate that's been going on with TLS 1.3 and end-to-end encryption where you need to actually be able to tell what's going on in the data center. All of these things are being driven by regulation. And a lot of it has a good reason to be there. But Yeah, but there is a tension between process. I'm going to blame ITIL, but it's the, there's a whole bunch of well-meaning process-oriented things that are the antithesis of Agile. I'm not sure. saying either one is either pole is right. Maybe the right place to be is somewhere in the middle. There yeah. is one. Well, I got the mic. Uh, there's one thing. <laughs> I'm going to hog the mic. One, one thing that I've been doing when I do network assessments that I think is uh, smart from a different point of view. You mentioned institutional knowledge, and what people can do to empower the rent, uh, rent the smarts or whatever, is to put together a summary document at a high level describing their network. What are they doing? Where are they redistributing? Where's the routing protocols? Why are they doing any of the squirrely things that are going on? Uh, sort of the quirks and unique features. Um, not getting into the details, but just kind of, here's here are the trip hazards to look out for. That right there was worth the price of admission. If you get nothing else from this conversation and you yep. run a network, do that. If you, if you take the CCDE, <laughs> those documents you read as part of your scenario, replicate those for your network. <laughs> right. <laughs> Was that a okay. for the CCDE? Yeah, you Which, don't uh, have to go through the CCDE. To oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so they're smart and they're CCDE smart? That's... Oh, oh. I just went off the rails again. It's called process. It's called process. And thinking about how, and you're commu- having process for your communication. 
So, and so this gets back to the technical debt problem. Yeah, it's a good point. The idea is that if you're going to if you're going to use love some level outsourcing, whether that's a VAR, a vendor, um, some sort of contract work, whatever it is, someone who's not constantly on it, even if you have someone constantly on um, having those things well defined and, and easy to communicate uh, and quickly being able to pass to someone who's going to help you. Um, like you said, that's a process issue. It's not that those things aren't known. It's that they aren't prepared for the time that you need them in the future. Uh, and so if you have those prepared, you know, you can better utilize those external resources, if that makes sense for you. Right. But then it's hard to get that process in place because you don't have people who know how to do that process. You have and to hire them. Really <laughs> <the bio. laughs> but, but you can pay, you can pay, if you don't have the person, you can pay the VAR once to do that rather than yeah. pay the VAR to do that every single time they come in. Right. Like, I mean, like you, you pay once to do that. It doesn't even have to be someone in your staff. You can absolutely pay for someone to come in and map out those dependencies in your network. It won't be as fast as doing it if you were the one who built it, but you, there's no need that it has to be someone from inside your network. Well, actually, it might be well, better if it's somebody from outside because yeah. they might see things and go, yeah. why is that? No. Well, that's and part like- of why we do it when we're doing assessments. Part of it is, did I hear correctly? But the other uh, justification is, here's something when you have a new hire or when you bring in a consultant, be it us or somebody else, you can get them up to speed much faster. So I think a lot what, of value. Yeah. I think what Jordan, I, I want to really call out one point that you made, because I think this, that's another one that's the price of admission here. And that is do it once or pay the VAR to do it once rather than paying the VAR to do it every single time or having tact take the time to learn your network or whatever, uh, you know, whatever um, support person is you're talking to learn to learn it every single time. That I think is critical and makes perfect sense and is an efficient use of of hiring a smart person. Well, it beats tripping over uh, something you didn't know about. So it's not just doing it over and over again, Denise. It's also stepping on landmines because you didn't realize they were there. Yeah. Spoken yep. like other people who walk into networks they, they didn't build. Exactly <laughs> right. It's not like we've ever done this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I would never have done that. Never, <laughs> never, never happened. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, I mean, we it was mentioned earlier in the show, this idea of, you know, uh, some of the risk of training people. Uh, you know, there's the, the cliche, you know, you know, what happens if we train them and they leave? And then the corollary, what happens if we don't and they stay? What's your take on this idea of if, if they uh, about training people? Because, I mean, I think part of the problem is we train people to do well, but then we don't match um, from a, a salary or compensation perspective what they would be able to get elsewhere with the skills that you've trained them up to be. Well, I think we also have a training yeah. problem. Like, we're, again, we'll go back to we're not training engineers. We're sending people out to solve a to, to configure a particular box that needs to be installed in that particular environment today. I mean, it's a very meta way to think about it. I agree with you, Russ. But thinking about it from an organization who's meeting their needs today. I know. I train somebody how to do the things today that, that do well, that, that we do these things. We, we bring on someone who's a junior. They do some of the documentation tasks. They do some of the uh, more menial stuff that your higher level engineers don't really want to do. In the process, they learn and they become an intermediate level engineer by whatever definition you want to use. Um, that's great. Uh, I know my experience has been, I feel like it's been the experience of most of the people I've seen and you guys can choose you know, to, to agree with me or not, that when the person gets promoted within their company, 
um, they tend to not get the same pay bump that they would be that they would get as if they went somewhere else. Yep. Uh, that, that just tends to be the way that I've seen the world behave around me. Um, and I think this is the reason why we see institutional knowledge leaving out the door so often. I will be the first one to say I've made that jump. Like I had a company I worked for that I loved working for. Um, I had taken it to the next level of my career and I'm like, I don't even need to be there today, but here's the deal. This is what my value is out on the street. Like what's the plan to get from here to there? And they're like, we're not going to pay you that. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go somewhere else. Like, I mean, like what, 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 what can you do? Like, I'm not going to sit here and work forever at, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 a year, less than what I can get paid elsewhere for, essentially a job that has all the same characteristics and i'm not the only one who's seeing that is yeah. there do you guys have any feelings about why why our industry is that way are we just stupid or is there just and then, and then they'll go industry. hire somebody to replace you jordan and pay twenty or thirty thousand dollars or more rather than just paying you or they'll pay someone two three four hundred dollars an hour to come in and replace you yeah. well i think i think this correlates with budgets getting leaner and leaner and the technical debt accruing which is people don't see the management management doesn't see the costs so they see the expense, but they don't see the value. Might be a better way to put that. So how, how do you convince an organization like that to train then? I mean, because if, if the end result of training is that we actually get someone skilled enough to walk out the door and get paid more than what we're willing to pay them, why train them? But that is a problem. There's a, I'm sitting here thinking that I've seen the, op, the converse of that, I guess it is. Uh, I've interviewed a number of people in the area um, who were working as architects for consultants, competitors, whatever enterprises, they were quite possibly CCIEs and real good at pounding the keyboard, but had seen all of one network and didn't have particular critical thinking design skills. I'm expecting Russ to jump in what? here at any moment. I'm CCD. waiting on Aaliyah. Go ahead, Aaliyah. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. Well, I said a couple things. One is the problem of people getting more skilled and wanting to be paid more is throughout all of the industries, right? This isn't mm -hmm. a unique networking problem. This is a, how does a company handle skill and growth of folks and providing career growth? Money is really nice, but if you're actually in a comp place, comfortable place where you have the growth and the opportunity to learn more and become even more valuable, that can be worth more than going to a dead-end job someplace else in the long term. But the other part is, I think there's a whole, having just done a job change myself, right? There's a whole lot of people who are comfortable where they are and who find change hard. And businesses count on that. Yeah, and That's I think my point was kind of not more that uh, various kinds of skills are maybe opaque to managers at these companies that, in terms of relating to comps. So if you have a CCIE who's a great keyboard pounder and deployer, yeah doesn't mean they have design skills. Yeah, that yeah kind absolutely. Of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the values of pulling in, as you say, sort of the, the middle level for folks who actually understand the vendor as well as this network and many other networks that they've seen a lot of a lot of what different networks look like and different approaches to solving the same kinds of problems. Right. So that comes back to the when you hire smart people who have actually or competent and engaged people who have seen different networks, then they're able to come in and say, oh, you're doing it to meet this business need. Here are other ideas that we've seen, or here are ways that you can get your network more regular to make it easier to maintain, and so on. 
Which well, is, right. a, I guess, an argument for hiring a a VAR for specialized specialized requirements. Then, I guess, that you don't have on staff or supplementing your staff. Is that what you're yeah. saying, Aaliyah? Well, or looking at it and saying, what is these are the business needs we have. This is how we're meeting it. How are other companies meeting this? How can we optimize our architecture, right? Getting the perspective of people who have really not just grown, there's a value to people who've grown up in one network, right? They really understand it. They know the guts of it. They know why things are, they know where all the skeletons are buried and landmines, right? But there's also a value to folks who have seen lots of different ways of solving similar problems. Thank you. Uh, and, mm-hmm. So it's getting that, getting that mixture of yep. skill sets is really what you want to grow. So when I go back to my days as an electronic engineer, this was like not even the centra at all. That's before TAC, right? This is a long time ago when I was working on radio systems. And um, I just remember Lincoln. that I remember that um, we actually had to learn what an operational amplifier was. We had to actually learn, you know, how what things really were before we were allowed to touch hardware at all like you couldn't go touch the 77 and work on the rhi circuitry and in the storm detection radar unless you knew what a tube type amp of, uh, op amp was and you knew how the thing worked because you couldn't understand how to troubleshoot it unless you understood how it worked i think part of the problem we face is that we have way too much i'll go back to my original thing right we have way too much i know how to do the cli and like pete says i know how to do the cli I don't know anything about design. I don't know how this stuff really works. Well, and it's worse than that because one can argue how much is one-off stuff and how much you can automate and it's common things. But when you have, if you have a industry of people who feel like their skill set, their core value is the fact that they know a particular vendor's CLI, as opposed to really understanding the concepts behind it, um, it becomes very hard to change or to move away from focusing on that as the primary set, right? It, there's a there's a vertical skill set in networking, understanding how it works, how the system works, the routing, all of the different layers, right? And if what someone really understands is this, people come in and they say, oh, I know the CLI, but if they don't have the rest of it behind them, they can't figure out what the network should really be doing. And if they don't realize it's a separate skill set, then they feel like their value is knowing the CLI, knowing the quirks of the particular vendors. Yeah, I mean, well, like this be a, CLI, it's, it's gooey now. I'm thinking well, of. And could this be a management issue? Could it, I mean, all right, so a good, wouldn't good management have an idea of where they need their people to be and have an idea of where the industry is going? And, encourage like okay like you know programmability devops stuff for for example wouldn't a good manager say okay look looking out a few years we're going to need people who are able to do this let me find the people who are interested in it bring them along and reward them commensurate to to their knowledge and their ability Mm -hmm. give them raises check and see what the rest of the you know the world is paying make sure that we have these people that are we've we've invested in and are skilled and i know this is not reality because um to raise so, your so hand denise, so denise is saying we need management training well yeah. it's short it's a short term versus long term <laughs> tyranny of the now number yeah. one and number yeah. two what i've mm-hmm. seen is a lot of the people one or two steps up the management chain um there are a lot more server people out there server app people they generally end up being the senior managers 
Is that true? What? Where? I, I, what I've seen in a lot of shops is that no people report no to offense one. No that everybody disagrees with you, Pete. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I've seen that the network people report to somebody who was an ex-network person who has become more of a manager, not hands-on. No, I, th- I think but you're the right. the person they report to. I think that's my to, experience. I think that's my experience uh, as well. Most managers are coders and or not necessarily just coders, but and or um, server side operations people. They're not, you don't find many network engineers other than at vendors who move up into management. And most and don't forget the finance guys. Huh? The finance, oh, yeah. The finance guys too. Yeah, and finance. They don't have a lot, any practical like hands on right, technical right. experience. Right. So, so part of the problem might be that. that we have a bunch of man, we have a very broad set of managers in the industry who just don't understand networks. They just don't understand the value. They just see it as a, you know, cost item. Something in that. Well, be, maybe is it right? So why do you think that is? Is it because we don't like doing that kind of stuff? And so we're not going to take management classes. We'd rather be shot than learning, you know, than have, <laughs> well, than have network, people reporting to people, us. A lot of network guys, and I'm going to say guys here deliberately, don't like talking to people. Uh, <laughs> as, is, as is evidenced by... There's six people on this currently talking <laughs> technology outside of yeah. for the fun of it because we think it's valuable. I know we're, we're, the, we're the odd ones we're, out. We're the odd ones out. But yeah, odd, yeah, oddballs here for sure. Uh, I agree. I agree with that. And it's not just guys. I mean, I think there's a lot of introverts that work, but I think that's true on the server side too. I don't necessarily know that that's a network specific. It's technology. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. I, Might be a techie I, thing. I think it's an engineering thing. I think that uh, yeah. the engineering mindset tends to be predisposed towards people who. Um, who, who are more introverted just by... You want me to have people skills? I got into computers so I wouldn't have to deal with people. Yeah, I mean, that, that sentiment <laughs> yeah. is there. Bingo. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. So I guess, you know, I, uh, I, I guess I struggle with this idea that it's a management, because I think, I think management is getting exactly what they're looking for. <laughs> I mean, like, I, maybe, mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm, I'm being a bit too cynical here, but I think that management's looking to reduce costs. Like, their goals are different than engineering goals. Uh, it's not but about. I don't see the business impact, and we, right. we we are bad at elaborating, enumerating what the costs are. Because there's there's, there's the immediate costs. impact, there's the immediate impact, and then there's a the long term impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes cheaper is more expensive. Yes, in the long term, mm-hmm. and we know that because we've seen the systems. Like as people who have gone in and worked on multiple networks, we've seen the systems that have atrophied because of lack of care and feeding. Like we know what that looks like. Um, and it's painful and it's bad for the business. But the problem is it's one of those things. There's like a death by a thousand cuts. They're all really small, all the individual, you know, little things that happen over time. And the next thing you know, you have this really decrepit network. This thing and if you don't know what it looks like, you don't recognize it. You don't recognize it until you're way too past. And then by that point, now you're just going to go throw tons of money at other people. Yeah, um, I, I, my claim is you notice a decrepit car because it's rest, rusting, it belches smoke, it's noisy. Networks don't do any of that. Maybe we should. <laughs> That's a nice image. Request. <laughs> just after after five years, just turn on the faucet a little bit, and so it rusts on the edges, so that we know it's start paying attention. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Should um, we shift gears to retaining people? Yeah, How do you keep good people. Well, I think I think there's, there's one more other thing I would think about uh, before we jump there to the the outsourcing piece. We mentioned the idea of having a document, kind of like working with and, and being able to hand that off. The other thing is, is um, just as from personal experience, do not get too attached to one VAR or vendor engineer. People move. 
Um, and especially in the reseller space, uh, as much as uh, the three of us on here <laughs> that are in integrators uh, probably are not a good example because we've been with our companies for a decent amount of time. Um, people move a lot, especially in that VAR space. And I've um, been with cust- some customers for three VARs. Right. <laughs> and this is the thing is like, I have, I have a lot of customers and people who listen to this are like, wow, you called me out on the show. So sorry. Um, but I have a lot of customers who like demand that it's me. Right. And like, well, that's a problem because you should be demanding that it's the VAR. That's the partner. The partner is not the one person at the VAR that you trust. If you're going to pick a VAR, you need to pick. I mean, they need to have people you trust, but it needs to be more than one person because if it's going to be that one person, you should just hire them. <laughs> so the risk what, is going to be lower. Jordan's looking for a job offer. I am not. <laughs> joking. I'm joking. My boss, Mike, I swear I'm not. So, so there is a factor there that VARs are dealing with. This comes from talking to people that have, I've worked with in the past, stuff like that. Um, some resellers are just getting so squeezed on margin that they're shortchanging the guy that has to go out and install it. And so the staff are getting sent out and then they're getting yelled at because it took them longer than predicted to install it. Hey, we're losing money on this gig. Or they cut some corners, do it hastily, and then the customer gets upset. And so you end up with, uh, I think I've seen it with a, a couple of companies, where there's just this mass flight as things deteriorate. This is a VAR, VAR staff yep. you're talking about. So, so they're not hiring small, smart people. Uh, they're not retaining them because the problem is that they're uh, pushing, they're focused on hardware, the margin challenged, and they're squeezing their talent and uh, then yelling at them for stuff that's not their fault. Margin challenged. I'm going to use that. <laughs> margin impaired. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, and the other, the other secret about VARs and vendors is that they have good employees, moderately good employees and bad employees, just like any enterprise. Um, there are people who work in the vendor space who are good, moderately good and shouldn't be doing their job. Like it's, it's true everywhere. It's not unique to the enterprise or to the, to the corporate world. Um, and so, so in that, you know, that's something else to pay attention to, but that's, that's, that's a good, wait, go ahead. It's also, it's also a matter of system, right? So you can have good people, in a company where the system is set up to penalize it, as Pete was saying, for if they're spending too much time, it impacts the margins, and they're trying to do the care and fit. If you so, one of the pieces is trying to pick some pick of our where you don't see the bad, where the organization is good and encourages people. Right? It's not just people are not good, bad, or incompetent in a, you know or, or okay in a vacuum that's they're correct 100 true. in the system they're in yeah absolutely and, and i think this uh segues into what pete was leading to just a second ago and that is retention as well um and so uh what are some ways that you know if you're a it manager responsibility for network engineers whether that's at a uh, or an organization, at a reseller, at a vendor, what are what do you think are the keys to retaining good talent? Because some companies do this incredibly well, and some companies do this incredibly poorly. I would say the first, the first thing is don't focus so much on money. Focus more on opportunity and flexibility. Like I would rather take a pay cut a lot of times and still be able to do outside stuff, go to conferences, and and do other things. Be a part of the community than to get the higher pay and be shut off from the community. And I don't think a lot of managers understand that, that the network engineering world, I guess maybe in management, 
the management world isn't as much of a community like managers talk to each other and stuff, but there's not like this camaraderie, like network collective type camaraderie where we sit around the water cooler and talk to each other about stuff as much. It seems like to me, maybe that's wrong. And Aliyah can push back on that. But I just think that, you know, a lot of times people go for rewards. Like I want to spend more time with my family. I want to spend more time. learning. I want to spend more time blogging. I want to spend time going to conferences. I want to, I want to be a speaker. I want to do, and those aren't seen as rewards. Those are seen as drains. Well, the main point is to see, understand what the person wants, what excites them, what, where do they see, see themselves going, what kind of growth do they want to have, what makes them, you know, going out and talking to conferences and you can come back in and say, hey, this is cool and I learned this and this is something else we could do differently. But it's, it's where does that particular person want to go? It's, and at the end of the day, it's treating your talent as people. And seeing what they care about and listening, right? We all know the statistics, people leave because of their managers. They leave because they feel like they're not heard, they're not listened to, they're not understood. They're not giving opportunities. Not appreciated. Yeah, exactly. And if you look for uh, ways to reward behavior, like earlier we mentioned that uh, companies find it hard to uh, train people because they view that as a cost and they feel like they can't afford it, but if you mix training and then incentivize people to do training on their own time, you're at least acknowledging the effort and trying to make something a little bit more positive. And so sometimes I think people need to look for positive incentives. Um, and as Russ said, sometimes those, and Aaliyah said, um, sometimes those are not money. Sometimes it's time off or time to do other things. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I couldn't point to it specifically, but there was a RSA had done a thing about, you know, the, the motivation of money. Um, and, and there's a, uh, every person and, and at the time, and this was many years ago. So I imagine this, this line has moved, but it was like somewhere around $80,000 a year is where money stopped being a motivator. Um, like the idea is that once you hit that, you had enough to live that, of course, that number is going to be different today, but just, you know, pick a number, whatever number you say you want it to be. Very different. <laughs> Very different. But, but that's the number where money stops being a motivator. Now, obviously, it will still be an influencing factor with all other things being equal. Um, but the idea is that from there, people start caring a lot more about it. So there's the idea that there's just a baseline amount of money that most senior level engineers are going to be well over when it comes to their salary and that's not going to be your incentive. So I would say that if you were in this position and you're looking to uh, find a way to retain staff, I would say first you have to identify the staff that you want to retain. And what are the things that would incentivize those types of people? So Russ brought up this idea of being able to go to conferences, engage, possibly be a speaker. That's a particular crowd of people that are going to want that. There's going to be a crowd of people who want security and just come in and do their job every day. Right. That, that's a crowd of people. And maybe that's what works for your organization. If that's the case, your incentivize or your, your incentive structure should be structured around the idea of keeping those, you know, those people who are just steady and reliable and they're doing things every day. If you want creative, engaged design architect, you know, capable of doing many, many things, the incentives that incentivize the person who is the steady person are not going to be the same as the incentives that incentivize someone who is that that broad thinker and system thinker wants to have their hands in everything. It's just, it's just not going to be the same system. There's also recognizing disincentives. Like with ops people, I worry about burnout. People just get thrown into the fire too much. They burn out and they leave and employers have to be sensitive to that and staff for it. That's true. Yeah. One of the things I can't leave this conversation without banging the culture drum. And that is, I think a lot of 
organizations don't understand how their culture can either incentivize or disincentivize people and what managers can do at a relatively local level within their teams to build a sense of team, to build a community, to, to, to encourage people to support one another. Um, there are lots of things that a frontline manager can do to insulate their people from some of the larger craziness that goes on in big organizations. And, and I think one of the things that we're seeing in the industry is that people need one another more maybe than they have in the past. Nobody can know it all. And you don't just need good people. You need healthy teams. And, um, and that's, that's one of the real problems that I see too, is that we look, we're looking for rock stars instead of trying to build healthy teams. When I see, and when you say teams, I, oh my gosh, I so resonate with that. But what I see in the industry is that people create teams like this is a team, you know, Slack rooms are a team There's a, you have virtual teams. Um, and in one sense, um, I used to work with a guy, Colin McNamara. Hello, Colin, if you watch this ever, um, <laughs> who, who's, who said something I haven't forgotten. He said, we're all one team. The employers change, but we're all, we're all one team. And people in this field tend to act that way. We support each other. We help each other. Maybe because we're such loners and, feel, and know the need to, <laughs> to have that, that uh, support from each other. And it, wouldn't it be wonderful if employers tried really hard to build that type of thought and, and feeling within their, the company. Yep. I think that would go a long way towards, as Aaliyah was saying, find out what they want and then provide that. That's one of the things that would keep you there. If you were part of a good team, you wouldn't want to let your team down. The other side of course is you might not want to let your team down, but if you're going to be, if you're taking a big pay cut by staying there or not getting appreciated or, you know, your manager is like, you know, Pitching if you want to take an extra day off or something, then you're there's other things that are that are going to make you leave. <laughs> All right, on that I think, I think Denise gets a gets a last word. Oh no no no, that's a terrible word. That was a cynical word. It's going to be etched in stone. Everyone's going to remember that as your perspective. It's awful. No. <laughs> no. How about inconsistent reinforcement? Right. Yeah. People respond to it. The thing about money is it's there and then it becomes the day the default. But if you go and you say, hey, I really appreciate this thing you did and you do it inconsistently, you talk to people, it comes in and it feels like a surprise each time. But it's a consistent pattern. You help it and you don't sweat the small stuff. The oh, you need this day off. You make it feel like it's part of the team. It's part of the give and take so they can manage. Look at that. Elia came in and bailed you Thank out today. <laughs> <laughs> I owe you. Uh, so I think that about wraps it up for today. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Oh, no, Aaliyah, no, no. Aaliyah, I appreciate that you did that. Oh, <laughs> right? All right, I'm cutting you all off. I'm about to you all. Um, <laughs> before we head out, uh, before we close this up, I want to give everybody on the panel an opportunity um, to let everyone know where they can be found online, either to continue engaging in this conversation, which sounds like we could go on for probably another three hours, um, or if you'd like to check out, you know, some of the other stuff that they're doing online. Uh, Denise, why don't we start with you? Uh, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Lady Networker spelled and Networker spelled in. E-T-W-K-R. Did I get it right? I hope so. <laughs> um, and I blog at, um, my blogs are posted at my company sites, netcraftsman.com. Excellent. Pete. 
netcraftsman.com and my Twitter handle is at PJ Welcher. Excellent. Aaliyah? Probably best places on LinkedIn. Let, um, there it is, at LinkedIn. I, I'm on Twitter, but I don't do very much there. Fair enough. Yvonne, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the blog at esharp.net, on Twitter at Sharp Network, and always here at Network Collective. Awesome. Russ? At Routing Geek on Twitter, Rule11.tech is my personal blog, and then you can always find me at, Rule, at uh, Network Collective. Uh, and so me, I'm at jordanmartin.net, at bcjordo on Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to find more great networking podcasts like this one, you can head over to thenetworkcollective.com, where every episode we've ever recorded can be watched or listened to directly on our website. Uh, if you'd like to have uh, the episodes delivered to you as soon as they hit the network, uh, head on over to uh, your favorite podcast app and just search for Network Collective. We're on iTunes, Google Play, all the regular places. Uh, if you consume the podcast as an audio feed, that is. If you prefer to see all of our smiling faces uh, and you like to watch video, uh, you can head to vimeo.com slash Network Collective and subscribe to us there. Also, don't forget to check out uh, the community membership at network collective, the networkcollective.com slash join, and we will see you next time. <laughs>